Tell your mom I said hello. We're on episode 24 of I'm No Expert. I don't know why I said that. Tell your mom hello. It's, what? it's really creepy. That creepy. is creepy. That's yeah. weird. Just leave people's moms alone. Okay? I know. It's, it's just, just so offensive. Because... <laughs> it's just like a Wisconsin thing. <laughs> I know it's not. I swear. They're the nicest people ever. Yes, I am in Wisconsin right now. And you are all the way out in... Brisbane. Brisbane. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we're so far apart, but... You know what? One thing that translates over, like, in any country, health and fitness. You're right. You're right. It's what keeps us alive. Yep. Aside from technology, I suppose. And um, that's a great way to to bring us to our very special guest who we've got in the studio today, Andy Andrews. He's, um, I don't know if you know this, Jason, but he's called, he's been called the fittest man in Sri Lanka. <laughs> Andy? Yep. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for having right? me. Yeah, yeah, I mean, a yeah. couple of times. Yeah. Uh, don't do it anymore, um, but yeah. He doesn't do it anymore. Like, <laughs> I'm not fit anymore. I, I left that lifestyle. <laughs> I'm retired. I'm retired. I, I'm, I'm semi-fit. I'm like a little bit fit. Just for fun. Just for so fun. Wait, it's a hobby wait, now. The fittest man on earth comes from, obviously, the, the CrossFit Games, and you've uh, accomplished something that a lot of Sri Lankans like aspire to do, yeah. which is make it to the elite level of the game. So, so that's that's pretty wild. I was there with you. Yeah, by man. The way. Wild Just trip, huh? Got, uh, I was. It was in Wisconsin. Coach, while we were at the CrossFit Games. <laughs> All they let you in, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it was like really that guy, your coach. I was like, yeah. That's all you need now. <laughs> Show me what you got. Yeah. No, but that's amazing. I was just reading up a little bit about Andrew and his background, and it's unbelievable the transition that you had. You were a pro athlete um, uh, as a golfer from a young age, yeah. and you were doing your thing. He's, you know, surrounded by super famous people who are pro athletes as well. You went out of school in Florida at the IMG Academy. Yep. Um, with, I mean, uh, apparently, and I know you, you, you know, people throw this in your face a lot. Uh, Maria Sharapova was yeah. a classmate. Yeah. I mean, there were, there are a few people, like if you look at the IMG academies, there's a lot of people. There's, yeah. I mean, the Venus, the, the uh, Williams sisters, they trained there. They That's didn't right. go to school there. And then you have like world number one golfer right now. Uh, I think it's, there's two sisters, Jessica Cord and Nelly Corda. They went to that school, mm -hmm. and so they were also in the same school I was. And so you, the academy is so, it it's it's very renowned for producing top tier athletes. Like you, you, I'm talking about like world number ones, top ten in the world, top hundred in the world, you know. And so yeah, in that environment, it's so highly competitive, but it's also an environment that shows you the standard, right? And that standard right. kind of bleeds into how you behave and how you go about doing things. And so it's a very interesting place. So if there, if there are athletes out there that are aspiring to be athletes or professional athletes, I think just visiting places like that makes a huge difference because you go in there and you're a nobody. It doesn't matter who you are, wherever yeah. you are, you're a nobody. And it kind of right. humbles you right off the bat, right? And so that environment is an interesting environment. And so a lot of top-tier athletes there. You walk in there and you see they would be considered celebrities outside the walls. But then they come in the walls right. and they're just, you're just whoever you are, right? Yeah, you're just world number else, one, yes. but yeah. yeah. And just so, Andy. yeah, it's, it's a very yeah. interesting place. Very, very. So that is considered like, obviously, going to Florida in the US, you're, you know, battling against all these different people. Yeah. Would, would you ever see that coming down to Sri Lanka, that type of 
competition level where somebody would be able to grow within a Sri Lankan community and come to a world class place. And you're you're a special case scenario. Yeah. Let's let's put it from a general view. Yeah, I so think. Yeah, I I understand. So like, can someone be here and achieve the same level of success, right? In terms of mm-hmm. at instead of being a professional athlete, I think the biggest thing is infrastructure, right? I mean, once there are two components: it's information and infrastructure. If you have the right information, which everyone has access to now, like you can log on to a podcast and hear the best coaches in the world speak about a certain topic that you're interested in, right? You can Google. Now you can chat GPT things, you know, although sometimes it can be a bit misleading. But then, you know, information is, and, and like, uh, you know, bringing all that information to one place is what coaches really do now, right? And so there are a lot of good coaches in Sri Lanka. So I don't think we're short on that. Um, I think the next thing is infrastructure, things like access to food, access to supplements, access to recovery protocols, yeah. access to just the things that, and it's not that we do not have those things. It's just that one, it's not affordable for a lot of the people that are trying to aspire to be professional athletes. And the second thing is it, it's, it's a big upkeep. You can't just go down to yeah. uh, the, what's that? Uh, you can't just go down to Whole Super Foods and find, you know, like in America, you'd go down to Whole Foods and, you have access to all these organic stuff. Over here, it's very difficult. And even if you do assume, even it's even if it's sold as organic, you really don't know because regulations are not as strong, right? And so you, you can lie about certain things and it does happen here. Unfortunately, people will say organic and that it's, it's rubbish. It's not. Uh, and so I think information and infrastructure, I don't think we're short on talent. I don't think we're short of, you know, there's this genetic game that's played. You know, if people succeed, they don't talk about genetics. The moment they fail, it's always a genetic problem. You know, so like we yeah. win, you know, we <laughs> win world. Yeah, you know, we world, we win world championships. No one talks about the genetics. Uh, like we win the World Cup, mm. no genetic problem. We win the 100 meter Commonwealth. I think, what's that guy's name um, that just won it? Supun or Yupun. He just won 100 meter gold. No one talks about the genetic issue. Uh, then it's yeah. like, oh, they went to Italy and, you know, that's why they succeeded. Exactly. Infrastructure and information. They have access to that over there. Yeah. You know, and so I think those things have to change. And I think it's changing. I think it costs money too. You know, money is going to change that, uh, change those two components. And and people are not cheating the system, right? You have, we have a problem with sport in Sri Lanka. People are cheating the system. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah, I mean. Well, but it also depends on like what that, sport is right if we're mm. talking something as elitist as, as crossfit which demands a lot a lot of skill a lot of time it, it i i think really depends on what is the sport what are you actually working out for mm. exactly. and so like i mean we look at these runners from like kenya just like freaking ripping it uh <laughs> for like miles and miles without sometimes even they don't want to wear shoes so it, it's really like I personally think it's the goal. Like, where are you heading with this, with this, uh, with your practice, with what exactly is your sport for? Yeah. Um, and I, I think that plays a huge role for sure. It's like cricket in Sri Lanka, right? You, we, we didn't have much in 96, but we won the World Cup. You know, most of those guys had nothing. If you really mm. look, listen to their stories, you know, it was Arjuna yeah. Ranatunga taking literally handholding these guys home. from all of these different yeah. parts of Sri Lanka, you know, um, teaching them how to, you know, literally live in big cities. You know, he was like chaperoning them everywhere, exposing them yeah. basically outside of their their little cities, the villages. He would like handpick them and bring them, you know. And so um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, we didn't have much there and we were able to accomplish a World Cup win. But then, then again, beyond that, I think we should have progressed faster and higher to more sophisticated mm. systems. But I think it got to a point and then, you know, politics got involved and then, you know, the the rest is history. <laughs> we are, we are, There's we are. a combination of like politics, discipline. Mm. Um, I mean, when you're talking about cricket, you're talking about those guys that started at that point and quite rightly, they didn't have much to work with, mm. but they were hungry. They were hungry for that win. They were hungry to prove themselves. They were the underdogs. And they had that propelling them to that point, you know, and I think the comparisons have been made that while the young bucks, if you will, they have the talent, they've got access, right? They've got, they're being paid so much more. They, um, you know, uh, and they've got so many things that are now given to them because they realized that the guys before them didn't have that. So now, you know, the local cricket um you know, the community, they're pulling together to to give them what they need to do well because they realize the type of visibility that that gives SLC to the country and all of that stuff. But what is it that doesn't work, you know? So then the older generation, the guys that came before talk about discipline, you know, the distractions that come with everything that they get being young cricketers right now, you know, the attention and all of those things. And um, I suppose you, as an athlete, you would know exactly what that's like. You know, all of the things that come with fame, um, you know, from the endorsements, all of the things that are on the periphery that can really take away from focusing on your goal. What was that like for you? And yeah. especially as a young person, yeah. how did you kind of yeah. you so know, keep your I, eyes on the prize? I don't I don't think there's a spectrum, right? And to the, the degree yeah. is I didn't I didn't have like the fame and the notoriety or the recognition that they did. But, you know, I think for them, what it, the, the thing is, there's an option B, right? Now you have social media. They can make money in other alternative mm -hmm. ways, right? And so option yeah. B poses the biggest threat. When you have a second option, you start giving option one less attention. And where your attention goes is where your results. So, like, I mean, if you're dividing attention to two places, you're trying to be an influencer, you're trying right. to be an athlete, it's not going to work out. You, you know, and right. so I think... Some guys are savvy with it. Some guys are trying to do it, but not very good with it. And some guys, you know, they play well at a competition and all of a sudden they have um, tons of followers and then they suddenly think that they have to become this influencer type person, right? And so I think option B uh, is, kind of, is where the problem is. The moment you have an option and you have a choice to perform, you know, it could be you wake up one day, you want to perform, you, you want to put in the work or you, you don't. And so I think, I think that option right now People have opportunities to make money and, you know, be successful in other avenues that require much less effort, right? And also, the yeah. if you if you look if you look at the last two years with Sri Lanka cricket, and I'm not I, I I like cricket. It's one of the sports I grew up playing and I loving, right? And so you look at the moment Sri Lanka was suffering, they were struggling, they were underperforming to extreme levels. I think we dropped to like number eight, number nine out of the ten test countries in the world, right? Something like we were rock bottom. And all of a sudden, you have the political crisis, the economic crisis, and options started to deplete. And what happens? Right. All of a sudden, everyone starts playing well again. Because option B yeah. became less of an option. Yeah. Right? And then right. They, started, they started to bond together. They started realizing, okay, I can't, I can't really go out and party. I've got to like, do something for my country. 
you know it's like doing yeah. some you know like representing something do my job yeah mm-hmm. yeah and you know sport like sport is hard you know i think yeah. <clears throat> anyone that has tried to play professional sports the amount of le- there's no there's no give it's like you either 100% in if you 1% out there are 1000 guys that mm-hmm. are 100% in and out of those 1000 guys yeah. that are 100% in maybe 5 will make it and so there's such right. little room for error that if you're not all in that 1% is almost a guarantee that you're not going to make it some people make it without that 1% genetic freaks you know people that just have a who were had a natural knack in the beginning built the skills and then had yeah. the opportunities and there's this cross section right of luck skill um you yeah. know uh, opportunity and talent yeah, yeah. Th- th- there is a cross section everything has to like merge there's so many talented people that don't make it right and then there's so many right. uh people that are not as talented but just over the right place at the right time at the right person got the right, right opportunity had the right performance boom all of a sudden boom ping pong you know and like things start yeah. happening and so i i don't think i don't think it's all infrastructure information and um your skill i think there is an element of luck and opportunity that presents itself and that's why i like tell i i tell guys that are trying to make it there's a squash player that's uh interning with us at the gym now i said your skill doesn't matter as much as your network you can be the best player in the world no no one get no opportunities you don't have money to fly out to your competitions and so your talent and mm. your skill is useless if you do not understand yeah. the the base of networking you got to network you got to understand how to meet people and tell them your story let them want to help you get to where you want to go if you don't have that it's 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 virtually impossible to make it now um especially with flight prices you know one of the things that i find them uh focusing a lot now especially when it comes to professional sports is also the importance of mental health and ensuring mm. that players are consistently taken care of and are being you know that are talking to therapists because it helps with um you know team bonding relationships and also where they are personally taking stock of you know what's going on with them to enable them to really focus and tap into um the right headspace for game time and that i mean with anybody i suppose to be able to be really good at what you do to be able to focus um you need to make sure that your mental health is taken care of um what are your thoughts on this andy like is it something that they focused on a lot say at ing perhaps or something that you know you bring into uh what you're doing now at you know with crossfit salon yeah i mean like everything that i do right now is based off what i learned in in university and in img right and so the 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 mental condition we we literally there was four components to img there was school right which was a very mm-hmm. tiny component they really they say they talk, they you they want to give you a, a good education but you go to school for 2 hours so it was kind of <laughs> it, it was very weird. it was cool at the time i was like i went to school for one and a half hours a day it was it was pretty cool i liked it Amazing. at the time but then it's you have school you've training you have your mental conditioning and then you have what they were referring yeah. to as game on at the time game on was this personality mm-hmm. development how do you get in front of a room and speak to a crowd how do you integrate right. yourself into a crowd right how do you network how do you position your hand if you have a sponsor you know like is rolex sponsoring you do you position your hand in a position a certain place yeah. you know how do you right. how do you brand yourself and how you know and so they they taught you all these things and mental conditioning is a very interesting subject you know like um yeah. I, i'll get to the 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 mental health aspect of it in a second but i think you know presence of mind is the most important thing in sport your ability mm. to stay present your ability to stay yeah. on task you know like the, the this is the biggest problem not in, only in sport right now 
you know, you'll see people just yeah. get off task every every few minutes. People are getting off task, right? And so attention span yeah. has really reduced. And so presence right. of mind and being able to stay in the moment, understanding what you are in control of right now. One of the things that was always told to us is control the controllables, the uncontrollables will eventually become controllables, right? And mm. this, the moment you start understanding what are the three or four things that I can control, all of a sudden you will feel less stress, less anxiety, because you know the things that you cannot control are there. The things you can control are right. on the table and you... It, like I said, attention. Where is your attention going? So these these guys going on the team, like some of their attention on social media, some of their attentions on you know training, some of their attentions on you know all these other things, right? And uh, right. so and like from the, you know, I have an I have an a, like a unique, maybe a little controversial take on what mental like on mental health, right? This okay. one of the, one of the things that I have noticed is that we do not speak anymore to people. Right. There's less mm. community involved. And when you go, yeah. th- there's there, there's a reason why things like CrossFit, things like um, um, what's the orange theory things, you know, these group training models have worked. And it's not because of the training itself. I promise you, I've run right. a CrossFit gym for the last nine years. It's not the training. Yeah. It's the fact that people come into the gym and they have people to speak to where they're mm. doing something that's common where they build relationships, where they're communicating with other people. Most of these people end up seeing an improvement, not only in their fitness, they'll say, I feel better, my life's better, you know? And then you see this correlation, you know, they suddenly part of a community, this tribe. And literally, I don't even think, if you put 100 people into a room and you just left them there, Mm. everyone will start almost healing each other. Right. Because yeah. this community, you see it with church, so you see it with wow, you know, like there's this community and everyone has this common goal. This co- It's like it's a tribe. Right. And all of a sudden people mm. start feeling better and you start mm. resonating with what's happening. You feel safe. You start feeling, you know, and, and then all of a sudden mental health is the discussion is over because you have found purpose. Mm. You have found something to do with your time. Right. And so I think a lot of times one of the things with individual sports is it can get lonely. You know, you're traveling all over the world or you're traveling to yeah. tournaments and you have a bad day and you come home, you're in the room and it's just you, you know? Whereas yeah. if, whereas in team sports, you know, the team suffers together. And so I think like with sport, it depends on if you're a team or if you're an individual athlete. I remember days I would finish my round and I'd go into the room and I'm thinking, this is this is depressing because you, you'd feel so down yeah. because... You know, money is on the line, career is on the line. All these things you've done for right. the last 10, 15 years, training for this moment is on the line. Exactly. You know, is it all going to waste? And you can get pretty down, right? And so I mm. think in community is important, right? And so, and you don't even have to do much. You just have to like... Yeah, that, you know, show just, up. Yeah, just, just rock up and then all of a sudden you start building relationships. So I think presence yeah. of, you know, it, presence of mind is important and then also being part of something is important, right? Um, I mean, we used to, if you look at like 500,000, let's say, let's say a thousand years ago, it was all tribal. Yeah, it was like our tribe versus exactly. your tribe. Eventually, eventually right. that's what used to happen, right? Wars between tribes. And so I think being part mm. of something gives purpose. It gives, you know, it takes away from when you have nothing to do and your life is mundane. Mm. I am pretty sure most people will start feeling mental health issues, you know, if, mm. if purpose is not there. And so I think, uh, yeah. I mean, that that's, 
little bit of a different take on how I how yeah. I see it, you know. Yeah. And that's really interesting, Andy. I I wonder if that was that one of the main things why you kind of made that switch because I know that you 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 started CrossFit um for golf to, you know, to enhance yeah. your performance and things like that. Mm. But what made you make a complete career change because that's that's something. Like yeah. you said, you you know, you, you invested so much in this career because yeah. you thought the trajectory of your life was going in one direction, but then on vacation, you got involved in, you know, CrossFit and like in Sri Lanka and the rest is history, as they say. And now, yeah. you, you know, you've, you've started and founded this gym and now you're going full force. And I mean, you've built such a massive community of people that are so gung ho about it. So yeah. what, what kind of made you make the switch? Cause maybe people are on the cusp as well at the same time. And it's just hearing your story, yeah, which might, you know. I, I I never stopped playing golf. You know, it was like this mm. whole CrossFit thing was a mistake. I promise. Like I never intended to do this. I went to the CrossFit yeah. L1, you know, got my certification. And then I just did right. it because I wanted to know more about CrossFit, right? I had no intention yeah. of coaching. And then one day in yeah. Dubai, one of the coaches said, hey, can you help coach class, you know, since you're here and you're L1? Right. I said, yeah, I'll come. You know, I'll, I shadowed and help people fix things. And, you know, like, um, and so, but the thing is, that was just, what happened was I moved to Sri Lanka. I came on holiday. I came to party. That's why I came to Sri Lanka. I came to just... As we do. Yeah. yeah. I, it was a week of just... It was supposed to be a week. and then Lottery. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> to cut a long story short, like a very long story short, <laughs> basically I came here and I, I was changing my visa from one company to another company because in Dubai you got to... And even though I was born there, you, you got to be on visa. So I was changing from one company to another right. company and there was a delay and then things were dragging and one thing led yeah. to another and I'm sitting in Sri Lanka broke. I don't have money. I don't have anything. And so yeah. I went to this gym and, you know, they had this facility, Vaj. Uh, I don't know if I should be... Anyways, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can bleep that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This, um, yeah. And then I said, you have this facility like, why aren't you running classes? They're like, oh, we don't have a coach. I said, I'll coach. I'm here for two weeks. You know, and then two weeks became three weeks because things were dragging with my visa and then it became four weeks and then two months and then all of a sudden there was like 15 people there doing CrossFit and they enjoyed it wow. and then the Open was coming around and I said why don't you guys do the because I do the Open every year just for fun right and then mm -hmm. I said why don't you sign up for the Open signed up for the got like maybe 12 people 15 people to sign up for the Open and then oh CrossFit God. HQ calls me he's like hey First time we had people in Sri Lanka doing the open. Can we write an article on you? I was like, yeah, fine. Oh cool. my gosh. And so they wrote an article on me. And then it just started, it started. I was like, I called my mom, like, oh, I'm gonna hang around here for a little while, see what happens with this thing. And mean in the meantime, I was still practicing. I was like assuming my golf career was gonna because I the week that I had come here, the following week I had to go for a tournament to Malaysia. And so oh. I I just kept pushing tournaments away and then I ended up staying here. And then that's what happened. And but there's the rest a, is yeah, history. Yeah, there's a lot of little things, crazy stories in the middle, like crazy, crazy stories. But you know, like it, it's it, it, that's really what happened. It, the, the intention wasn't to build to to coach. The intention wasn't to build a CrossFit gym. The intention wasn't. No, I had no, none of these intentions, and so it would be unfair for me to say that I made a, a drastic career switch. Right? I did not intend mm. to. You know, I had no. Yeah. I, I was going to. I was going to either make it or keep trying. At professional golf. Yeah. There was no option B. It was either mm -hmm. I made it one day or I just kept trying until, you know, the, the, the wheels run out or the wheels fell oh off. Oh, my God. That's, 
And so... But CrossFit is, like, it's really cool. Like, I, I started doing CrossFit. I remember hearing about it. Um, and a couple of the gyms sort of offered a few, you know, CrossFit classes. But I was always the only one with, like, the coach or whatever mm. it is. And they just had, like, a circuit of stuff. And it was cool, you know. Um, and, um, but then you start hearing all of these myths, you know, like, <laughs> oh, you're just going to get really jacked doing this. Um, Sneeze and get jacked. Uh, the, the in, yeah, the Butch. injuries. And I wasn't too worried about the, the jack thing because uh, I felt like, you know, my body was built in a particular way because I used to swim before. So I wasn't too concerned about that. But then there was like, you know, the whole injuries thing. And then I think personally it was consistency, but also accessibility. I just felt like after a while, um, you know, it just started costing more to do CrossFit. Mm, yeah. And it wasn't ac as accessible, like for me anyway, at the time with so many other things going on. But but that's what I was kind of curious to ask you as well. There's yeah. just so many myths, you know, about CrossFit, you yeah. know, that you just get seriously injured. That They're all true. Not like a real... Okay. <laughs> they're all true. I mean, like, okay. <laughs> they're, all, they're, they're all true. They're, Go ahead, then. They're all true, 100%. Like, you, 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 can, you, re yeah. you really can get injured. And the thing is, you know... Well, it's just like walking down the street, right? I yeah. Mean, you could just... 100%. Yeah, break and yeah. I, I'm... So, there's, there's twofold. I think you, you said that um, the the injury part and the, the getting jacked part. I'll start with that, right? Yeah. Like, like one, the guys get small and the girls yeah. get big. Like yeah. Some How does that happen? Thing, yeah. You know? How do the right. guys get, you know, like the guys should be getting yeah. huge because they have more testosterone, right. more GH. You know, I think there is exactly. a, there's a misconception on training in general. I think uh, there is, it, it's, it's, it's slowly bleeding away this notion that you can sneeze and suddenly get jacked. It's putting so much, you know, uh, I don't want to say the word disrespect, but I'll use it for lack of a better term. Like it disrespects the people that actually get jacked because the amount mm. of work that it takes to achieve even a semi-decent physique is is monumental, yeah. right? The amount of mm. discipline, the amount of um, yes. resilience, nutrition, training, sleep, managing stress, all of those things have to be in together. Sure. They cannot be done yeah. independently. They have to be molded into this one cohesive program or one cohesive right. goal to actually achieve it. And even then it'll take you probably five years, you know, mm. minimum. And so for yeah, people so it's to... not like you can do like a series of classes and then just suddenly walk out all like jacked. Or yeah, like, you, they, know, you yeah. have to like mean to. Yeah. They have to examine the scientists have to come and study you if that happens, because you are mm -hmm. a unique, you know, maybe they can use your Specimen. genetic model and create superhumans because it's not going to happen, you know. And <laughs> right. so I think it's very, very difficult. So I think I think guys don't really care that much about the getting jacked part. Right. Some guys say, hey, I don't want to get too yeah, big. Yeah. Uh, but then they realize right. very soon, like, okay, it's not that hard. It's not that easy, right? It's not that bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. women have the 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 stigma is or the the the. It's mainly they with lose that yeah feminine yeah it's it's yeah. yeah it's mainly with women yeah where, where the where the thing is, and I I think what ends up happening is women end up looking much more in shape in their desired shape after they start training than if they didn't right and um, mm. there's other things there's health outcomes you know there's the mental outcomes you talk about you know you feel good yeah you know you start looking maybe yeah you know you start, you start feeling good you start from a physiological standpoint you feel good you're sharp mentally and cognitively like everything's you know clicking 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 you're able to think yeah. on the spot you're able to be sharper you're creative you're you're creative 
creatively you're better you know critically critical thinking moves up so all of these actual things around it it starts bleeding into your life you start seeing it in all these yeah. other places right and so i think um that that's the, the the getting jack thing is i wouldn't worry about it right like i think just try it and the thing is i what i tell people in the in the consultations is especially with women i say get jacked go ahead yeah. if you don't like it we can always come back here done right you know it'll take yeah. you it'll take you a few months we can put you on a weight cut stop weight training and then you'll be back here in no time in half the time it took you to get there right and so like with right. that in mind you're like you can always come back to where you are right but let's just try to get really 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 strong really jacked and then if you don't like it you can come back here it's cool right easy we can reverse engineer the whole thing uh, and so usually that really overcomes that obstacle for most women i think it's women that have that obstacle most of the time they don't want to get super jacked mm. and it's understandable because that's not what society wants to see from women unfortunately but yeah, some women have broken past that threshold and like i don't care what you think i'm so jacked good. right and 100%. so 100% yeah and with the thing and of, i i think that that's such a better like like you said you know i i think that that's the one of the more important things that you're doing in that community is also changing perspectives mm-hmm. of how you feel about yourself you know mm-hmm. you walk in probably with an idea of what you would like to look like or why you're even there to begin with right um you know why you walk through those doors why you want to get to that point it could be to make you feel better about yourself because of a negative you know perspective someone else had of you or society had of you and you want to make some changes for the better but while you're there i think that there's a different sort of healing that takes place and it's not just getting fit yeah. you know so your whole perspective of even what you want to look like changes completely and that's one of the things that i you know just got from what you were saying which um which is a really great takeaway from yeah i mean the average awesome. person if you're not an athlete is like you're really looking for three things you're trying to unify these three things and it's performance aesthetics and health if you ask the average person what you mm-hmm. want are your training program they say well i want to look good that's the first thing that everyone wants right and then yeah um they want to have long term health outcomes positive health outcomes right that's number yeah. two those are two main reasons why people really train to look good and to have positive health outcomes long term and the third thing is performance if there was a life and death mm. situation are you hard to kill right or are you hard you know are you <laughs> you know and it it's a very until that situation comes people don't think about yeah. it yeah you know oh, until you're in a situation where your fitness is required you're like okay and that's an extreme situation but if i was to dial it down a little bit and bring it down on the spectrum like if you were to play football with your friends or you're climbing up a mountain you don't want to be the last person you want to yes, be it. up there with the top or middle of the pack where people don't notice you know you want to be in shape so i think most people want to unify these three things and that's really where we started taking our program and our kind of our own internal methodology how we started coaching people was through that lens unifying performance health and aesthetics and to uh, yeah and to bring to your question that uh, is crossfit dangerous it absolutely is and the, there's a problem in the crossfit community that do and i probably get a lot of shit for saying this i don't know if i'm allowed to swear come here, on but, tell the truth yeah. and so like uh there is this dogmatic approach to crossfit and it puts people off right and a lot of the things like it puts people who are in the industry coaching other things off right um you know crossfit is probably the best way to achieve elite levels of fitness i don't see any other way right hmm. but your starting point matters and what you do in the beginning matters so if you take a rugby player and you make them do crossfit that guy's going to get pretty good it's going to probably avoid injury he's probably going to 
progressed with the movements very well because he's already got good proprioception, body awareness. But if you take someone who has never trained in his life and you throw him into a CrossFit workout, this guy is, it, is, a high risk, is at high risk for getting hurt, right? And so yeah. I think there has to be components of functional type bodybuilding, right? Building movement, mm. building endurance, building mobility in a more structured manner, right? Where you're getting people stronger with all the various movements that are going to be required in CrossFit, right? The basic squat, the push, the pull, you load them in different angles, get them, you know, feeling their body in different positions, build proprioception, awareness, you know. Some people, they don't know, like if you ask them to put their arm overhead, they do this and that's, how they, that's as far as they can go. So if you ask them to strict press, mm. that's putting their shoulder in, in, in compromising positions, right? And so building strength and movement foundations, right? And then building endurance capacity. If you ask someone off the side of the road, hey, run 10K, now they're going to die. They'll, they'll run like 200 meters and walk 9K, 9.8K, 9, 9 yeah. right? And so they don't have yeah. the understanding of their conditioning and the endurance. And then the mobility, right? Can, do their joints move well, right? Can they move inside of their body? Does everything function properly? And if you, come, mm. well, you know, like the, so we literally created our own, we had an injury problem across this like 100%. And then we would sit down and be like, how do we fix this problem? And we started trying to introduce different programming styles. And then we realized we don't need a new programming style. We need a new program. And so we created our own mm. back to basics program. It's build endurance mobility. Okay, when you first come in across this line, if you don't have experience, you have to do this class. You can't do CrossFit. Nice. Right? And it and I then, was just gonna ask. Yeah. yeah. And like it's it's a strength class, it's an endurance class, a mobility class. And you do they're separate classes and you work on these skills individually and you do them for two, three, four months. We mandate it for one month, do it for two, three, four months. Some people do it six months. Get comfortable with the movements, then move into CrossFit. What you see is people get a lot more out of CrossFit. They're safer. Injury rates just plummeted. You know, and yeah. the, you know, I wish CrossFit would go to all the gyms all over the world and ask, what are you guys doing? I'm, I'm almost 100% sure the gyms with the least injuries are going to have some sort of base building program. Their onboarding or their fundamentals. That's not just like one week, two weeks. It's like a couple of months where you're building this person's capacity, talking about nutrition on a one-to-one -one level, right? Because it's so, it's so nuanced. All of this stuff is so nuanced that you, what's, what works for me is not going to work for you, is not going to work for Jason. Um, and so I think those things are super important to really, um, to really dial in before you actually go into CrossFit. And, some, and because everyone starts at different levels, it's, it's nuanced. Some people are fresh, some people, you know. But we um, we didn't do it like this. We should throw everyone into CrossFit, like Jason remembers. But that, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, but that that's like, you're talking adults, right? You're talking people that have never done sports, but the, the case with kids is different because they're at a developing stage mm. and you're building a foundation. Even though they're entering CrossFit, you're building them with a the foundation mm. from the get-go. So mm. they're like... And plus their recovery stage is a lot faster, right? They don't take as long to recover yeah. like adults. I think even with uh, even with kids, I think building strength is the most important thing because there's this window to build strength and muscle and, you know, tissue health and tendon and ligament health, you know, like... What is that window? I yeah, think I, I think up to like we we passed, bro. We're, we're, <laughs> we're way past it. <laughs> I, think, I think up till about... Uh, I think if you take a kid that's 8 to 10 years old and you start giving them some sort of strength training, some sort of endurance training, base level stuff, basic stuff, you know, squat, push, push-ups, pull-ups, 
you know, bent over rows, you know, even little yeah. bicep curls and calf fix and just a, just the basics, like basic bodybuilding stuff. This kid's going to have an insane advantage over his peers when he's 18 if he did this for 10 years. You know, like, even if that person, even if his friend starts at 18 and has one year of intense training, he's going to get nowhere near this kid, right? Because he's, where, when his brain was growing and his hormones were developing, he was putting his body through these stressors and causing yeah. adaptations that this kid at 18, that window has passed. I think it depends as well. I don't think, like, everyone has the same window, but I think at about 25, you've, you've run past this window. Right, and you can yeah. still get results, but the 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 magnitude of the effect in the future is not going to be as much as um, as much as someone that started at eight nine. As we see these rugby players, right? There's this guy Omalka. Do you know Omalka? Mm-hmm. This guy's a freak of nature, man. Like he's yeah. he's I think he's been training since he's like eight nine years old, ten years. Old. I think his dad made him squat and do push ups and pull ups and all that stuff. Now this guy's just strict pressing 110 kilos, right? And you're looking at this thing, and I'm like, this guy's moving this thing effortlessly, right? And yeah. uh, like I'll joke with him and say, dude, you should start crossing to be at the games in a year. And he's like, no, no, I don't want to yeah. compete, you know. But I mean, it's insane. Like, doesn't matter how long you and me train, we're getting nowhere near him, right? Nowhere near him until unless we go on performance enhancing drugs. That's right. That's the next option. Let's get on performance enhancing, and then maybe we'll. Touch his potential. But he was yeah. basically on performance enhancing drugs when he was eight, nine, ten years old by lifting and you know taking advantage of that hormonal window. And so right. yeah, man, I think um it's wild because like we're seeing a lot more of that now again, like uh with the benching, like a lot of the college kids and um kids in high school, they're like 16, 17, and they're benching like Three twelve, and Bro, then you're just like snapped. like people are like ripping. They're like sixteen year old lifts this, and you're like, yeah. what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's insane. <laughs> but but, but man. we see this window. Uh, well, not with these guys yet. We haven't seen that window. We, we see this. You know, a lot of these guys at the young age just like peaking, peaking, peaking because they're like their life is like sport. And then when it comes to actual life, it just like the health just goes like, yeah, and yeah. then they like they get a like. I mean, didn't that happen to? Um, uh, Fraser as well, like he just started a day job at some point after his yeah, uh, yeah. weightlifting yeah, career, yeah. and then he just yeah, hundred percent, man. So there's this thing. There's a guy called Jason Phillips. He talks. He introduced this concept of the triangle of awareness, right? So it's a triangle, and the top is let's say performance. This is aesthetics, and this is health, right? If you're an athlete, during season you're at performance, you're at the tip, and you can only draw a circle on the line. So you have to draw a circle on where you are uh, at any given point, right? And so I think the component of seasons is important, right? Like if when you're in off season, what you're doing is you're building your base, right? You're trying to get stronger. You're building your endurance. You're working on your mobility. You're building on all of these key components, right? That are going to allow you to peak high. And then you have, uh, uh, once you're done with off season, you're going to preseason. You start mimicking what the demands are for your competitive season or what for your, for let's say, uh, for your sport. Let's use sport, for example, right? You're mimicking, you're mimicking, you're mimicking. And then you go into season, you ramp it up and you peak. You get to this top, you know, top performance level. You can't stay there very long because it's very taxing on the body. Once you're done with that, you probably, you know, uh, you probably acquired a couple of injuries. You probably acquired a little bit of burnout. You probably acquired, you know, a little, little discomfort here and there. You probably like your hormones probably suffered because, you know, you weren't eating, uh, you weren't eating for health. You were eating for, for, for performance. 
And then once the season's over, you go into post-season and you let the body heal. You rest, you know? Yeah. You you sleep more, you train less volume, uh, you eat better, you know, you relax, you meditate, you know, you 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 go with community yeah. and you you know, you 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 build your system again, right? So what Fraser did, I don't know if you remember this, dude. Uh, when he retired, you know, he said, as soon as he finished his season, he would take a month off and do nothing. He would just eat. Yeah. He'd be in the jungle or in a forest, in a cabin and just hide from the world, right? For a whole month. And, he's, and he would say like, he would log into social media every now and then and see these people that have already started training. He's like, that guy's out. This guy's going to get injured. You know, he was like knocking people off the list of people he needed to beat because they did not take a postseason. And so one of the craziest things, so we, uh, I bought his program. He uh, he does his Zoom calls every 30 days, right? Or every month. And he's like, the first CrossFit workout I did every year was the first open workout. And you start calculating back. Say, like, okay, games finishes in August. So you have September, October, November, December, January, February. Six months he's not doing CrossFit. He's doing CrossFit for six months of the year and he's winning the games. And so you take a look at the greatest ever's model and you look at what he's doing, and you're like, well, maybe what we've been doing is is just not right. It's 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 the, we're doing it the wrong way. Because if the best in in history is only doing CrossFit for really six months of the year, we should probably change the way we're doing things. And I feel like you know CrossFit HQ should probably go talk to him and ask him, listen, man, how do you think we should change the programming model to actually get people fitter? You know, yeah. you know, because yeah. if the fittest man in the world is doing a postseason, season, preseason, off season. And he's only training CrossFit six times a year. There seems to be, and look at everyone he's training now, man. Medeiros, O'Brien, they're all like at the top, you know. Yep. So there is, and they're pretty young too, right? Young, Medeiros and twenty-one, are twenty-two, like, you know. Yeah, like, pretty wild. Yeah, man, it's not. You think it's like? Here's where I think, right? Because I mean, obviously, because he's obviously had a foundation of like, like mm. you were talking about. If you have this foundation of sport. And athleticism, getting into CrossFit makes you better at what you do. My light just went off. Yeah, it's it's, okay. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a Sith Lord anymore. <laughs> uh, uh, it's, is that it provides this foundation mm. for you to actually get in. And so I, I personally maybe would look at Fraser's uh, recovery period because he's already created this neural pathway, right? It's mm. all to do with the mind at the end of the day also. Even though your physical body is capable, like we have a lot of capable people, mm. right? Like, like you're really capable like one of if not the only capable person i know in sri lanka that's able to actually take us to to that level but we're talking from if your neural pathways already open up that world do you think it's easier because he's taken six months off that he can just hop back in Mm. because already created that pathway and so if somebody's not done something like that that hasn't gone to that point yet it might be obviously six months is an extreme looking at it from the outside but like if somebody hasn't come to that point where they've made it to the games at least once in their life or made it to some sort of competition, the, the top of the competition list, that that would be a bit too uh, too much to take too much of a recovery time. Yeah, it, it, it's, it, it's, a, it's a decision that requires context. If you look at Fraser, his season is intense. The amount of stress on his body is so wild that he needs that time off to kind of build. And the thing is, he's not taking six months off. He's staying six months doing different things. 
bodybuilding style, weightlifting style stuff, powerlifting style stuff, you know, basic bodyweight stuff, basic conditioning. He's building the engine. It's like a race car, right? You take the race car out onto the track, you race it, and then you go into the garage and you fix it. If you took the race car out on the track, you go to the next location and you try to race it again, it'll perform not as good, right? And you take it to the next location without taking the garage, it'll start depleting and depleting and depleting and depleting. Eventually, this car is going to break down. It's going to not be able to perform, right? And so I think for guys who are competing at the highest level, what they do is like he, he'll take a month off and then he'll start building the base, start building his strength, building his conditioning, you know, repairing his injuries. Fraser never got injured. I don't know if you've noticed that. He never, no niggles, nothing, no complaints. He was always like fresh, ready to go, right? And so I think because he had such heavy seasons and insane seasons, he had to drop his volume and recover from it. Whereas like the average person just needs it occasionally. So like they do maybe a five, six week intensive and then they deload for two, three weeks, one, two weeks, right? And they do a five, six week intensive and then go one, two, three weeks of deload, like low intensity stuff you know, bodybuilding type stuff, you know, maybe work on skills, you know, let the body heal. And then again, do a five, six week intensive, take one, two, three weeks off. You know, you're doing cycles of training. You're doing cycles of training. And each cycle has a specific task, specific, specific goal. I think going into the gym, what happens with a lot of people, and I think um, it, it one, it makes them bored, right? And they can't continue. It's like they'll go into the gym and they won't know where they are in their training. You know, they've just been going to the gym for, let's say, a year and they've just been working out, working out, working out, working out, working out. Really no end, right? Yeah. Whereas, supposed to, if you create like these six-week blocks of training, like, okay, in this six weeks, we're going to try to accomplish X, Y, Z. At the end of the six weeks, we're going to do a benchmark test to see if we improved and then we take a couple of weeks off, okay? And then we're going to work on another six weeks on a separate group of things, right? And so you create goals within the season, I'm talking for the regular person, right? You're creating goals within this year or within this period. And what and the, the best thing about it is you can just go ask the members, hey, what do you guys want to work on? You know, and you program it for them and you take them through it. Boom. This six weeks, we're going to work on pull-ups because everyone wants pull-ups. You know, with this six weeks, we're going to work on squatting because everyone wants to get better at squatting. This is what you guys voted. And so you can create this feedback loop of, and then you can start creating better programs for the community, better programs for your clients, because now there is specific set targets and goals. The thing with training is, man, like uh, if you, you, you were training with me when we were training for the games. Yeah. Like even you were training like you were going to the games, dude. <laughs> you know, <laughs> everyone was training like they were going for the games because yeah. there was this goal. There was this, there was this intense period of this. It, the time is now. Right, we gotta like yeah. do this now, and everyone like kind of fed off what me and Keish were doing, and yeah. everyone was motivated, and it was it became everyone's goal, you know, like yeah. to just train hard, and so I yeah, think I remember I got super jacked. <laughs> yeah, man, time. dude, you super were snatching jacked. like 135 pounds. You were you, like you were snatching barbell to 135 pounds in like the space of three four months, and so That's I great. yeah, so I think the I think but then once that ended, it was just like. Oh broken yeah you know yeah. and so uh i think that that is important for the average person they need to have blocks of training that are planned out so like you do this for a certain amount of time let's say four to six weeks and you take some time off, let the body heal recover because that's where you're going to actually have those adaptations right and you go yeah. in another four to six weeks you heal you recover adapt another six weeks in the space of like five six seven of these cycles you've worked on so many different things in these individual blocks that now you have 
you've improved health, you know, you've improved health, you've improved performance, you've improved body composition, you've improved all these things, but in a structured way that didn't burn you out. And so I think one of the one of the general problems with this is why I think bodybuilding will never die because it is very structured in its innate mm. design it's very structured you don't see people burning out from doing bodybuilding right mm. I, I don't hear this very often right and so I think we have to take the lessons from the old school guys like Arnold and uh, all of those guys and say what were they doing because they did it pretty well and how do we integrate it into use the information we know now like building endurance building functional capacity and yeah, use yeah you know and like use using it creating so Marcus Philly is famous for functional bodybuilding right he took all these lessons from Arnold and all those guys and you know like created this program that kind of hits on all the things you don't want to burn out from training but you do want to look good you want to perform well you want to build endurance and all of that stuff and so I think we can't ignore the fact that that golden era of bodybuilders, they were doing something right, you know? And right now, there's a huge problem with burnout, man. Everyone's like training and they're just smashed. They're, you know, six months in, their knees are hurting, you know, they they have fatigue all the time, you know, they're you know running into hormonal issues. You see PCOS as a huge issue with women. You see testosterone, is, um, you know, a low testosterone with a, is a huge issue with men. You know, and these are causing, you know, long-term, you know, long-term effects. And, like, I don't think we have seen the issues or the effects of these issues yet. I think in the next... Yeah, so, Andy, uh, like, like you were saying, it's recovery time. Everything comes down to one major thing, though. Even though we're talking about the seven circles of life and we're talking about, you know, like, sleep, uh, your fitness level, how hard are you to kill? I love that part. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> such an important piece in life, like what are you fit for, right? Yeah. Um, food is such an important part because I, I notice uh, a lot, of, some people go for aesthetics, some people do like CrossFit, but they, their physiques aren't, like aesthetically it's not there. Mm. Like when we look at it and you're mm. like, what are they doing wrong? It's the food. I mean, mm. they're doing everything else, right? Mm. They're sleeping, they're doing all of this, but they're eating crap most of the time. Um, what What is your take on on food for functional, yeah. like for longevity, let's put it that way. Yeah. For I, a realistic, yeah. good quality life, what yeah. is your take on food? So I think, uh, like to to give you context, I was in the performance thing. Now I'm looking at that. So a lot of what I do right now is for a little bit of performance, but mostly aesthetics and health. I'm looking long term, right? I'm like done competing at CrossFit, you know. Um, and so I am in that boat. And so I now... Now I can speak from experience. Two years ago, we talked about this. I could not speak about that, right? Because it was in my goal. But, you know, I think you have to understand that every cell in your body is made up of what you eat, right? And your environment, right? And so, like, every nutrient that you eat resides in your body somewhere, right? And so if you're eating shit, you're going to have shit in your body, right? If you're eating high-quality food, you're going to have high-quality nutrients to function better in your body, right? And so yeah. some of the signs are, you know, fatigue, uh, you know, your brain fog, critical thinking drops, creativity drops, you know, energy drops, mood drops, you know, all these things are a sign that you're not functioning well from a physiological standpoint because your physiology comes first, then your body comes, you know, kind of like the effects of it show in your body second and then 
it, it progresses from there, right? And so I think for everyone, what most people need to do is they need to understand the spectrum of where foods exist, right? When we were 1,000 years ago, 1,500 years ago, you know, I watched this interesting video, that, uh, I think a couple of days ago. It was this guy, Food Lies. I don't know what his name is. His Instagram handle is Food Lies. Brian Sanders. Is yeah, it, yeah, Brian. Yeah. Do you see I his video? Do you see the, the thing? He posted on New York yesterday. He posted something on New uh, York yesterday. New York in 1902. Yeah. He's like, where are all... This might piss, piss some people off. He's like, where did all the fat people go? They must have stayed at home. This is what he said. He said, all the fat people must have stayed at home. Right? And then you, you're looking at this video and like, shit, everyone's like skinny, <laughs> lean. You yeah. know, everyone is like, read. You know, and so, and then, then what he's trying to say is like, it's not a problem with lifestyle per se. It's like the food that they're giving us and the access to food that they're giving us is a problem, right? Processed food is the problem. And now then what they did was they had the, the, the availability of food wasn't as abundant as, as we are, as we have access to it now, right? So right now we can get anything anytime we want, you know? You want a tandoori chicken sandwich? Boom. You know, you want a pizza? Boom. You want a burger? Boom. You want a steak? Boom. You can get it any anywhere, almost anywhere in the world you can go and get these things, right? Granted they'll that knock you have, on your door and they'll get it to you. Yeah, yeah, you know, and granted that you have enough cash to, to buy whatever you want, you, you can literally get anything you want at your feet, right? And so this is a unique situation in history. We have not had this this situation in history, right? Even if we, we are in our 30s now. When we were yeah. in our early 20s, we didn't even have this. We had to go yeah. out and look for it, right? You know, like we couldn't go anywhere and find food. I remember being in India and like hard to find, you know, meat, like in Delhi. Like I had to go to McDonald's to find meat. And so yeah. to give that, that's the context I want to give that you have access to anything you want at any time. So you need strategies right. and systems to be able to make decisions at any time on whether what you're eating is good for you or in line with longevity or not. Right. And so I think it exists on a spectrum. Like on one end of the spectrum is highly processed food. On the other end of the spectrum is just raw food out of the ground, right? Most of our food needs to be somewhere closer to the raw food, raw end of the spectrum, right? So like when I'm sitting with people and I'm explaining to them about how they want to go about eating their food for the first couple of months of working with us, it's like when you look at your food, how close to its original state is this food? Right. If you can look at your plate and you can identify this is a tomato, this is a potato, this is chicken, this is an egg, this is a carrot, this is spinach. If you can identify all those things, you're closer to that side of the spectrum. Now, if you if you give someone, let's say, uh, a lasagna and say, tell me what's in this. It's almost impossible to name all the ingredients. Right. right. And so it's it's living more on the process side of things. Right. Or if you look at yeah. and the best example I can give is. You have, let's say you have a potato. It's in the ground. It's full of dirt. You do not eat it out of the dirt, right? You wash it. So you process it a little bit. Then maybe you boil it. You peel it. So all of these are processes, right? You're processing a little bit, but it's minimally processed. And you put some salt, some pepper, you process it a little more and you eat it, right? So this would be close to its original state, right? So like a baked potato, very close to its original state. Then you can take this uh, potato, make it a boiled potato, you can make it a baked potato, you can make it mashed potato, you can make it french fries, you can make it potato chips, you can make it, you know, so you're going further and further and further and further and further. And the further away you go, the, it's losing its nutrients and it's becoming higher in calories and easier to eat, right? And so yeah. uh, there's it a... sticks in your gut for a lot longer. Yes, too. 100%. In your gut, yeah. There's a book called Salt, Sugar, Fat. You're going to read it. You will yeah. go into the supermarket and just stay away from the center of the aisle. 
because yeah. it talks about how how these big companies, uh, these big corporate you know food producers who produce like processed food like Nestle and all all those guys, they have yeah. a formula, man, to make food addictive. They literally have a formula, and this book tells you this is the formula. They're hacking mm-hmm. your brain. They're hacking your gut. They make all these things yeah. addictive. Right, and mm-hmm. you have the moment you eat it. I mean, it's like the whole Pringles thing. They're literally telling you once you pop, you can't stop. They're telling you, "I'm screwing you." You know, like when you take one bite, this whole thing's going down, right? And so I think, um, I think understanding the spectrum of food and what's processed and what's not. So every time you, I think the the the, the best starting point I can give anyone is eat clothes, eat foods as close to its original state as possible, right? And also. If you're in an environment where you're not controlling your food, right? Look at the buffet, look at the spread, and say, "What foods can I identify?" This thing, I don't even know what it is. I'm not gonna eat it. Like that looks like broccoli. That looks like chicken. That's yeah. a piece of fish. You know, that's a that's carrot and spinach. You know, so I'm gonna eat that. Yeah. So you stick to these, and then it because that strategy in itself is gonna help you avoid. a lot of the pitfalls that people will have like some that's why you 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 were saying how people will train and they're not getting results so they're like, I'm eating well I'm like okay what are you eating let's take a look at it and then you say ha yeah. huh. yeah you're not eating well <laughs> you know yeah and so you're just trying to hit some calorie mark yeah that you were told to to gain weight and gain muscle but mm-hmm. you know to add to to what you were saying about like the food in the supermarket i think if we backtrack a bit like the people before us like the indigenous sri lankans even like there was honor with with food right because mm. the hunter gatherer mindset is you know you hunt for your food you harvest your own food there's respect you mm. there's this connection to food mm. that you're putting into your body mm. the most important thing and in today's context our modern hunt is really the supermarket <laughs> so you're walking like you said you're walking through the the corner aisles which is the actual fresh foods The, f- the fresh that we can get uh there's a whole different thing about that mm. and then this whole middle aisle has all these splashy colors and inviting uh texts that tell you hey this is better stay away from those corner aisles mm. because vitamin b12 infused <laughs> yeah like, and huh. seed oil <laughs> yeah yeah seed oil seed oil right yeah i actually don't know how bad the seed oil thing is in dosage is important with seed oils is dosage It's not that you eat seed oils and it's really like you're you're gonna die. It's just like dosage. It's like Panadol. Panadol is cool, but not if you take the whole pack, right? That dosage is dosage is important. So seed oils as well, they're more inflammatory. They're more volatile molecules, and so that they can they can cause inflammation. They can cause an issue. But dosage. So I think I used to be one of these people that were very afraid of seed oils, and I wouldn't like eat out because of seed oils. But then mm-hmm. uh, there's a guy Lane Norton. I don't know if you know Lane Norton. You know he mm-hmm. he's uh, very interesting and so like i started reading a lot about his stuff i started doing a little bit more research and i said it led me to a real rabbit hole and there is ah okay the studies are showing that it's a dosage that is important right it's not that you have seed oils here and there like let's say you have something with seed oils once a week it's harmless it's almost virtually nothing's going to happen right uh, there's not enough of it um, just like i i love to use a panadol analogy like two panadols are really good for your headache 20 are not you know and so um yeah. and so i i think uh, yeah so but, but to your point yeah you're you're right like but the, that's a problem with the dosage you go and you get that stuff from the middle aisle and the dosage mm-hmm. is massive like you look at the ingredients it's <laughs> yeah. like number 3 you know canola oil like oh shit i yeah. should probably like put this away you know and like most of people like 
Yeah. I was going to say like preservation of food. If you really wanted to preserve food, like, like putting it in tallow and like mm. fat, like that's how they used to do it mm. right back in the, back in the day. Mm. And so like the way food is preserved today, like you look at the list of ingredients and the nutritional facts, it's pretty fucked up. Like, yeah. you're like I don't know half the shit that's yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah. And that's going to be in my gut. And so you're talking about these rising chronic diseases in Asia, dude. Yeah. It is like rampant. Yeah, yeah. Like, why are people dying so fast? Why are people that are like in their 40s looking like they're in the 80s? The yeah. freaking food. 100%. It's, it's, it but, is what it is. And you know, like, world hunger is a problem, right? We know that. Yeah. And there is a secondary problem that has been born out of world hunger. As, a, as, as an attempt to solve world hunger, we have produced foods to feed the masses. Mm. And these are the foods that we're talking about right now. Mm. Right? And without the, the unfortunate situations, without these foods, a lot of people don't have food. And mm. we go back to the world hunger problem. Right? And so I think finding a sustainable solution to solve world hunger has resulted in this processed food industry. Because what are people mm. going to eat, you know, if we don't, if we don't have these processed foods, cereal, all of this, you know, I don't know, like all the processed stuff, like the, the junk, yeah. right? They don't have anything left to eat because not everyone can eat chicken, steak, vegetables, and fruit. One, yeah. you know, it's starting to become more expensive. It's, you know, it, it takes a long, it's a longer life cycle to produce. Our population just hit eight, well, are we at eight billion now, people? Uh, population in yeah. Sri Lanka? No, I in the world, we were like eight, eight billion. I think we're at 8 billion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're at 8 yeah. billion. Yeah. We're at 8 billion. Like the population's rising, right? But food production speed has risen, but on the processed mm -hmm. food section. If you look at organic and whole foods, I would say it even slowed down a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. And so because it's become more niche. Like if you really take a look at the whole population as a whole, eating whole foods has become a niche thing. The average mm -hmm. person cannot afford to eat, eat that, right? You're looking at like... Maybe five percent of the population of the world, ten percent of the population of the world, maybe, 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 yeah. are eating whole, unprocessed foods, right? Yeah. And so why, the question is, why? Why do we? Why do we think that? Right? Like, why have we come to that point? Like, how did that start to to look at countries that? Oh, look at that poor little African child, who's only got. We only need fifty cents of your your time, your money yeah. to feed this child. But yeah. when we look at like how they got there, it's this. Yeah, yeah. It's a pretty, pretty ridiculous um, story with how we got to that point. Because mm. you look at like these tribes, like the Hadza and shit. Mm. Like you, you heard about the guys that just yeah. eat meat, like they hunt and they eat yeah, meat. Yeah. And this guy's like, I mean, and people are, are in love with how these guys so look so young, their skin yeah. looks so supple. They're meat and honey. Great. Eat, yeah, eating honey <laughs> and, uh, and meat. And then all of a sudden you see, like for the first time in the early 2000s, they were like, oh shit, we see a we see a obese uh, Hadza mm. tribe member. They were giving like, them potatoes and like like pro they were starting to feed them right their own stuff. Yeah. Like they would they yeah. would they would give them gifts. Here, eat yeah. this processed shit. <laughs> Get fat like us. <laughs> you know, like that's the problem, man. Exactly. Like they're penit. They're like it's it, the yeah, man. Because those guys are fine. You know, like people think that hunger is a problem. Hunger is not a problem. Yeah. It's being hungry yep. for too long is a problem, right? Mm -hmm. And then yep. obviously those guys go hunt. They have a system. They've built a system around it, right? And now yep. these guys have yeah. gone and fucked that system up as well, you know? And yep. so I think uh, I think it's 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 an e like you know there's you you have the hunger problem, which created the processed food industry so that we could feed people, you know, yeah, in the masses, which has now led to a weight 
uh, a weight management problem, mm-hmm. right? And it's there's just problems being born because the solution isn't effective, right? Yep. There's more problems being, and now you have the weight. I mean, look at look at the if you look at the fitness industry, the most lucrative thing is weight loss. <laughs> Everyone's like, it's weight loss, weight loss, weight loss. Yeah, because it's this hunger problem. Hunger is probably the world's biggest problem, right? The hunger issue, and maybe the environmental stuff as well. But I I think I would argue that hunger is a bigger issue. So you have hungry people, people that do not have food. Okay, cool. What can we do? We produce all of these processed foods. Cool. Now these processed foods are for them and for everyone else that wants to eat it. Now they eat this processed food. Oh shit, 10 years later, we now have, you know, uh, uh, a weight management problem. Now this weight management problem has caused cholesterol problems, you know, caused diabetes problems. It's called blood pressure issues. It's called cancer issues. It's called all these diseases. Okay, and this is problem after problem, you know, and what's not happening is the discussion on, okay, how do we manage the middle point, processed food? Because hunger is the base problem. Processed food is the real problem, right? How do we find, how do we make food that's processed, but not full of junk, you know? And so people are doing it. Like you have, like, yeah. if, like if you go to the Whole Foods in, in the States, you'll find, you know, like these, maybe these uh, protein bars and you're like, ah, oh, there's only three ingredients in here. Perfect, I'm buying this. You know, so there is, there is a, it's happening, but it's very slow and it's probably going to take like 30 years and 6 million diseases before we actually solve that problem. (laughs) Right. And so, yeah, yeah, man, I I, I think the solution really is in in my personal belief is going to come from uh, countries like Sri Lanka, because like you said, when there's a need, when there is a need, people do some incredible things. Mm. And I I really feel like Asia has a, has an answer for that. And all these um, plant-based solutions, which I've got nothing against, but I just don't, I don't see the, the point in how uh, it's supposed to uh, cure somebody's metabolic disease yeah. uh, and chronic illness. I, I will, uh, I will defend vegetarian. Just the, my my last little um, uh, thing on this. So like, I will defend veganism, not veganism, but vegetarian. Right? I will defend. The, yeah. I don't think you should. I think you should eat meat because. Uh, everything points towards humans needing meat to survive and evolving. You know, we we just have the data, right? It's 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 right out there. But the thing mm-hmm. about the vegetarian, it's much easier to grow uh, vegetables and fruit in mass to feed the world than it is for meat, right? And so you can feed. You, you, I think if you got places like Sri Lanka, India, China, all these places with fertile soil to like build to produce insane amounts of vegetables and fruits granted that obviously like we use pesticides and everything but i mean i think still think those pesticides are better than the the chemicals that they're putting in processed food i think that will be much better of a solution and like it's better to be a a vegetarian or a vegan than hungry right that's my that's that's my opinion like you don't need meat that's a that's a i think in terms of context that's a that's a really good point However, when we look at what, uh, you know, farming, unfortunately, what it's doing to soil health, mm. uh, you heard this narrative where it talks about, like, there's only 60 harvests left in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's because they're talking about, like, soil health. And so mm. when we're talking about uh, vegetarianism, you're also talking, and, and veganism, and again, nothing against it, because, like, we come from a country that, that we have a lot of vegans, right? And 
and when you look at how many animals are actually killed in the process mm, of harvesting, yeah, 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 little rabbits and stuff like that, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, like, how cute does it have to be before you're like, oh, mm. animal killer? Um, but the thing is, like, the 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 answer now lies in more of the West and, and the old West, where they're starting to ranch uh, a lot more, and how that's mm. actually helping regenerate the soil. This mm. amazing guy named Alan Savory started this whole thing. Why don't um, pastures? South Africa. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, the, the Will Harris too from yeah, White, White Oak yeah. Pastures. They they're just literally curing the land yeah. like one acre at a time. Obviously, it's going to take years to do this, yeah. uh, but it's it's one answer. So if we can look at it from both sides, that maybe there is a solution between the two I with think, ranching with yeah, yeah as well, no tilling. I think I think one the once resources are de- delivered to that technological advancement will. Uh, will bring will solve the solutions. You, like the Amazon was infertile land, and like when I don't know when was the Am- when do people live in the Amazon? Like twelve thousand, ten, eight thousand years ago or whatever. Dude, yeah, they, they say it's they, like a man-made kingdom. Dude, like a they, man-made jungle. They literally <laughs> manufactured their own soil and put it into the ground and mm-hmm. created the Amazon, right? 100. And so if those guys could have done it, I think we can do it. Yeah. Unless like they oh, were an sure. advanced civilization that were. And then just got wiped out, and then we are less civilization. Who knows? Maybe that's the case. Andy, but, we're going down some deep rabbit holes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna jump in this yeah. uh, on the next podcast yeah. when we when we uh, chat again. That's yeah. awesome, dude. Like yeah. I, I'm, I'm excited now from nutrition going into like some ancient civilization. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, freaking yeah. awesome. But thank you for your time, dude. Absolutely, uh, man. Great Thanks for having me. Podcast. Good chatting Episode with you again. Episode number twenty-four of I'm No Expert. Um, and yeah, we look forward to having you on the next one too. Catch you soon, man. Cool. Tell, tell your mom, tell your aunt, tell your uncle, tell everybody about I'm No Expert because we only have five subscribers and now we're looking for a sixth. It might be you. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in for the next episode where we talk all thing ancient civilizations. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Cheers, bro.